If you would, please take out your worksheet, worksheet number three, another provocative title, God on Trial. God on Trial. Is it possible that God is being examined? Well, I believe that it is. In fact, I believe we're doing it right now. Look at the, the, the title of our series, God is Love, with a great big question mark. Is it possible that he's really who he says he is? Now, if you recall, on our very first evening together, we talked about how the question of whether there even is a God or if the Bible is trustworthy is prominent in most people's minds. Why should I trust this old book? And what we decided, what we discovered from that book is that God himself anticipated that question and said, if there's any other God, let him come before me and do something that only God can do, which is tell the future. And God says, I'll not only claim to know the future, but I'll tell you in advance the things that are coming. And from the time of Babylon, we found that in Daniel chapter 2, he gives an outline step by step of the political history of the world until Jesus comes. And we're living on this end of it, and we have the, the benefit of history, the hindsight that's 2020, that can look back and see that every single step that God said has come true exactly as he said it would. So now we can demonstrate objectively that God's word is trustworthy. But then we open and read it and we find out, wait a minute, if this is such a good God, as the Bible claims, not only that he says that he's loving, but he is love himself, then how come the claims of the Bible about the character of God don't seem to be met in the world? How come there's so much natural disaster? How come it's the political unrest and wars and famines and all these awful things? How can there be a good, powerful, loving God in a terrible, awful world? Well, that's what we looked at last night was Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and how he said, I take no responsibility for the presence of evil. I created a perfect being in a perfect place with every opportunity, and he chose to rebel. I didn't create evil. Evil was started by the choice of a perfect being in rebellion. And now that it is started, he said, we're going to let it run its course so that all can see. It needs to mature. It needs to mature. So now we're going to take a look at this worksheet number three, God on trial. But before we begin our study tonight, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the safe travels you've given everyone here. I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to study your word. Lord, I would ask that your Holy Spirit be here now, not just in a vague kind of general sense, but very specifically, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to to open your word to our minds and soften our hearts where there might be stubbornness. But Lord, give us a picture of who you really are so that we may see for ourselves the contrast between good and evil. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin tonight in the book of Exodus, the Old Testament book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 33, and that's going to be page 85 in your pew Bible. Exodus chapter 33, and we're going to start with verse 18. Here we find Moses, that great leader of God who the Lord used to call his people out of Egypt and to lead them to the promised land. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. This Moses has a very particular request of the Lord. And he says, Please show me your, and what is the word he wants? Glory. Now, I don't know about you, but oftentimes, at least growing up, when I heard the word glory, I would think of something shiny or, or something sparkly, like, oh, bright, luminescent, ah, oh, glory. 
And I'm guessing that's what Moses, he's, he's had conversation with God, he's had the law of God, but he says, Lord, I want to see you. Show me your glory. Look at the Lord's answer. Verse 19. Then he said, that is God in return, I will make all of my, what's that word? Goodness pass before you. Now, we're setting up a biblical equivalence here. Moses asked to see the Lord's glory, and the, God says, I will show you all of my goodness. Right? The glory of the Lord, apparently, is his goodness. It's who he is, his very character. And he notices, he says again, verse 19, Then he said, I will make all of my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, and no man can see my face and live. So we go to chapter 34. That was the deal that they struck. He said, I want to see your glory, and God says, I'll show you my goodness. And then we see it actually occur in the very next chapter, starting with verse 5. Exodus 34, starting with verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So all these positive attributes. He's patient. He's kind. In fact, this sounds exactly like 1 Corinthians 13's definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. And God is saying, that's who I am. You wanted to see my glory. My glory is my character. Okay? Again, Verse 6, he proclaimed the name of the Lord, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And then he also includes, but by no means clearing the guilty. Right? So he's like, I'm going to have mercy and patience and kindness and all of those good attributes, right? But also, don't think that I'm a pushover and I won't let things just, I'll let things just go on and on and on, but by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. Is I'm going to be thorough in my work of judgment, but at the same time, I'm going to be fair and just, and I'm going to be merciful and gracious. He describes, in response to a question about seeing the glory of the Lord, he, he responds by explaining and revealing the character of the Lord. Which brings us to our first fill-in-the-blank. When Moses asked to see God's glory... The Lord described his character. Okay? This is a very key issue. When Moses asked to see God's glory, the Lord described his character. This is what my glory is. It's my goodness. It's my character traits, my attributes. Now, and notice it said here that no man can see my face and live. Why is that the case? Why can we not just approach this glorious, merciful, gracious, loving God and come right up face to face? Well, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. It's not because God is so mean. Let's just make that clear right now. What is the actual problem? Isaiah chapter 59, page 716 in your pew Bible. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says here. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But notice verse 2. But your iniquities, and what's another word for iniquities? 
sin, your sin has separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. So notice the issue is not that God can't talk to us or doesn't want to talk to us, but the issue is we have a sin problem, right? We have cut ourselves off from direct access with the Lord. Now, the Lord doesn't just give up, praise the Lord, and say, oh, man, that's too bad. And then just leave. He said, no, 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 no. I'll be gracious. I'll be merciful. I'm going to woo you and try to get you back. But we cannot have this just pretend everything's okay kind of relationship. I have to deal with the sin problem. But I love you, and I want to be long-suffering and patient and kind at the same time. Moses asked to see his glory, and God said, let me tell you about my character, who I am. Now, that's the Lord's description of himself from his word. Merciful, gracious, kind, long-suffering, all of those wonderful things, and at the same time, fair and just. Now, let's contrast that with Satan's representation of God's character. Because we're going to build a theme tonight that what God says he is and what God actually is is nothing like God, what God, Satan paints him to be. Okay? What God actually is in reality, Satan has tried to smear this character of God. And let's take a look in the book of Job. Page 478, this treasure of a book in the Old Testament, page 478 in your pew Bible, just go to chapter 1 of the book of Job. Now, we'll give a little expanded context than what we have in your notes, so we'll just start with verse 1. But Job is, is oftentimes thought of the story of this patient man who went through these difficult times, and he was a patient man who did go through difficult times. But we're going to see tonight that the key character in the book of Job is not Job. He just happens to be exhibit A in a much bigger controversy. Well, let's just find the context. Verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. So apparently he had two choices. You could either follow the Lord or you could follow the devil. And this one chose to follow the Lord and to shun evil. And he goes on to talk about how seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. Okay? This man was wealthy and healthy and at the same time faithful to the Lord. And it says in verse 4, and his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day. Perhaps they had you know, birthday celebrations or something like this. And would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. He had a concern for the soul of his children and, and their salvation and their, their walk with the Lord. He, he got up early and he prayed for them. He had a concern for this. He was a good man, a righteous man, an upright man. And that's all of verse 5. Now we go to verse 6 and look at the quick change we see. Now, after we've described the setting and the context, it shifts us to this picture. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before whom? The Lord. And Satan also came among them. Okay. Now, 
one of the key things we want to note here is that these sons of God, this is not the Son of God with a capital S singular, Jesus Christ. These are plural sons with a lowercase s, okay? These sons of God, whoever they are, at this point, it's not a particular burden. Maybe we can address that in a question and answer session sometime. Wink, wink, write it in. We'll see if we can do But right now, apparently, there was a convocation, a coming together of people, an arranged time that these people would come before the Lord, and they had a guest visitor among them that day, and Satan also came among them. Verse 7, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Now, we studied last night. Where did Satan come from originally? Heaven, right? But didn't he lose his place in heaven? Wasn't he cast out? And he was sent to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. The war in heaven, which Satan lost. But now he comes striding back in among these sons of God and takes his place at this meeting of the Lord. And the Lord asks him, from where do you come? The implication is almost, didn't we cast you out of here? And put you somewhere? Let's continue. So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Notice he's like, I'm not in the tree anymore. Right? I'm coming from the earth, but not just one little part of it, not a little corner, not a tree house that you stuck me in. Right? I run this place now. By the way, the implication is apparently the other people are from some other places too. Each has a location that they are representing. And Satan says, I'm here on behalf of the earth today. Going all over it, I run the place. I'm guessing things got tense at the meeting at that point. But the Lord doesn't stop the conversation, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant... Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now that is a very, it seems kind of a calm question, but notice that this is, this is an almost inflammatory of the Lord. Have you considered? What's another word for consider? Have you thought about, have you noticed, has it dawned on you that you claim to run the whole earth, but there's, he doesn't say, A good man, Job, he calls him my servant, Job. There's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, which is a nice way of saying he follows me and he doesn't follow you. Now, what Satan doesn't come back and say is, well, you can't win them all. What what are you going to do? One guy got away. No, 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 no. Now, in our mind, in modern politics, we, the idea that someone, that one person out of the citizenry would not be appreciative of the leadership at the current time is not completely out of, we kind of expect that at this point. Like, half the people are going to dislike whatever's going on in our politics. But notice this. This is, this is between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. And Satan says, I run the whole place, as if to say... You know, you cast me out because I was hitting a nerve. And now, those people who you made in, my, in your image have given the keys of the place over to me, and I run the whole planet. 
The implication being, if you gave people a fair shot at choosing between the two of us, every single person had a brain in their head, would choose the freedom I offer versus the arrogance that you keep calling to yourself. And God says, well, have you noticed that amongst your free citizens, there's one who doesn't like you, but still loves me? And this kind of lights Satan up. Verse 9. Continues saying, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for what? You don't think he's doing it for free, do you? Of course he's faithful to you. You pay him. This is his, this is his argument. Have you, verse 10, have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that is on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. No wonder you're giving the insights. You're paying him. What's this called if you pay for influence? It's bribery, right? Of course he's faithful to you. You're giving him the goods. But now, let's do an experiment, verse 11. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. So you take away all those sweet blessings, that nice payment that you're giving him, that juicy lifestyle, you take all that away and make it mano a mano, your government versus mine, your ways or my ways, and we'll see who he chooses. I guarantee you, even he will curse you to your face. Mm. What does the Lord do? Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. So he allows him some extra space now to work. Okay? I'll expand the borders of your territory to this extent. Only do not lay a hand on his what? On his person, on his body, on him personally. But everything that he has, all those possessions you say that I give him, all that abundant lifestyle that apparently I've paid him with, take away all those payments. And the experiment is on. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. The rest of the entire book of Job is seeing Job deal on earth with this great controversy that's raging in heaven. He doesn't necessarily even see, but he is exhibit A in the eyes of the universe watching this play out. And basically God's premise is, he loves me just because of who I am. He just loves me. Satan says he doesn't actually love you. He's just faithful because you pay him. You take away all the good stuff and he'll be on my side. And Job is the rope in this tug of war. Right? Now this is fascinating to me. Satan's argument, again, let's go to our, our worksheet here. Satan's argument was that Job was only loyal to God because God, you can put in there blessed, or if you want to be a little bit more crude, paid him. The only reason he was loyal to him was because he was bought off. Bribery. Thus we can say that though the book bears his name, Job is not on trial. Of course, Job is suffering some stuff, but who is really on trial? God himself. Are you really this great God that everyone would love if they really saw who you are? Or are you just a guy who has to bribe people to get their affection? God is the one being judged. Now, I want to take you to a few extra texts that are not on your worksheet now. And don't worry, I'm not going to charge any extra for this. This is free, all right? Just some extra Bible tonight, okay? 
But let's go back to the book of Ezekiel. This is going to be page 831 in your pew Bible, Ezekiel chapter 28. And what we see in Job is simply a continuation of Satan's modus operandi, how he operates, his methodology of rebellion, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 28, page 831, we're going to go to verse 16. It says here in verse 16, this was again going back to the fall of Lucifer, how he became the enemy of Christ, the enemy who has planted this seed of rebellion. After it says in verse 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Then we read in verse 16, by the abundance of your, and what's that word? Trading. If you have the King James Version, it says merchandise. It's commerce. You're peddling something. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Now if you go down to verse 18, watch it again. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. And what were those sins, those iniquities? By the iniquity of your trading. Now what's fascinating about this is this particular word for traffic, as the King James Version, T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K, the old English word, or merchandise or trading, as different versions say it, this, this word is not used in the Scripture outside of these two passages here in the Ezekiel chapter 28. However, the root word from which that word comes in Hebrew is used in other passages in the Old Testament. What is this thing that he's trading? What is he peddling around heaven? Let's see what the Scripture says. Go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19, or page 112 in your worksheet, I mean, on your worksheet there, your pew Bible. Leviticus chapter 19. Again, feel free to jot down and write on these worksheets if you want to take these texts down. But the same root word of trading that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 28 is found in Leviticus chapter 19, page 112 and verse 16. Now notice this. These are instructions to the children of Israel. Same root word as trading, but notice the translation difference here. Chapter 19, verse 16. You shall not go about as a, what does your version say? Tailbearer. Tail-bearing is the same root word as trading or traffic, okay? As a tail-bearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. He said, you shall not walk around, what's a tail-bearer? Gossip, right? Slander, lies, telling stories, making stuff up. You know, you tell tales. Tales are fairy tales. They're not true, Right? But this is what he's peddling around. Apparently, this trafficking, this trading, the merchandise that he was doing in heaven was selling some falsehoods, some lies. In fact, let's look at another version. The same root word. Let's go back now to the book of Ezekiel. This time, chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 22. Excuse me, page 822. Ezekiel chapter 22. This time, verse 9. Again, the same root word as trading or traffic that we saw in Ezekiel 28. In Leviticus 19, it calls it tail-bearing. And here, the same word is translated in chapter 22 and verse 9 as the following. It says, And you are men who, and here's our word, slander to cause bloodshed. And you are those who eat on the mountains, in your midst they commit lewdness. And it mentions this word again, slander. So we have tail-bearing, 
slander, and those are the things that constitute his traffic or trading, the merchandising. He was going around heaven, not peddling arms and guns and tanks and bombs, right? He wasn't handling weapons. He was handing out words, tail-bearing, falsehoods. He was smearing the character of God in the courts of heaven, just as we see him now in the book of Job doing. He wasn't really follow you because you only pay him. Everything's about you. It's you. It's you. If you take all that good stuff away, he'll curse you to your face. I guarantee it. And the experiment is on. The experiment is on. Now, what I like to highlight here back in the book of Job, go back to Job, is the entire conversation, Job's not even there for the meeting, right? It's the sons of God, the Lord himself, and Satan who came among them. But the only two people that are actually doing any speaking at all are the Lord himself and the accuser, Satan. What's fascinating to me are these sons of God. These apparently are loyal to God. But they don't say one word of remonstrance to defend God. It's fascinating. They don't say, hey, 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 Satan, what are you doing here? Get out of here. We're, we've already heard you lie. Get, get, get. No. They're loyal to God, but it's as though they were saying, now, he does bring up some interesting points. Let's see. We're still loyal to God, but let's see where this thing goes. Now, we saw that in Matthew chapter 13, if you recall. Who were the people asking about the presence of tares in the field? There was the angels, his workers, the servants, the reapers. And they have questions. They're loyal to the Lord, but they're like, let's see where this thing goes. Let's hear this thing out. And if you recall, in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, the reason that God cast Satan out of heaven instead of destroying him on the spot was so that everyone who knew him would have an opportunity to see his true character revealed. Because what was going on was in his heart. But on the outside, he looked great. And people are like, well, Lord, I understood, but I don't understand. I mean, of course I'm faithful to you, but he's got some pretty perplexing questions, and we need to see, and the Lord understands, we need to see once the sin experiment has started, it has to run its course so that everyone can see the difference between the wheat and the tares. They can see for themselves and make an informed decision. Make an informed decision. So we go over to Isaiah chapter 56. Again, we saw last night, as we're going to see again, that Jesus came to this world not simply to save sinners, though I'm so glad that he came to save sinners. Isaiah chapter 56, apparently there's something greater involved. Apparently the character of God is at stake in front of the whole universe. Isaiah chapter 56 and verse 1. This can be page 713. Isaiah 56 verse 1. Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for my salvation is about to come. Okay, this is looking forward to whom? Jesus Christ, right? Notice he said, my salvation is about to come, future tense, and my righteousness to be, what's that word? Revealed. Interesting, he says, when Jesus comes, he's going to bring salvation, and he's also going to reveal what? My righteousness. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't create the righteousness of God. He simply reveals it. 
as though it's been there the whole time. You've, you've probably seen this example. Can you see my left hand? No. But does it exist? Yes, you have great faith that it exists, right? But there's something obscuring your view. And if I move that something, did I just create my hand? No, I didn't bring it into existence. I simply revealed what had been there all along. Part of the purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to reveal the righteousness of God, not to make God righteous. He's been righteous the whole time. But Jesus was here to show us the God that God has always been. Let's go to the next page. We'll see this theme developed throughout the New Testament as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, page 1113, 1113, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. Notice this now, again, looking at the purpose for Jesus coming to this earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, taking our mind back to creation, right? When he said, let there be light, that same God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a rather long sentence with a lot of prepositional phrases loaded up, so we're going to break it down a little bit. This is the Apostle Paul. He will have books of the Bible that are like two sentences long, very, very long, okay? But watch this. Notice again in verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. So that's the God of creation, the creator God, the same God who has shown where in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? Of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? The character of God, right? He wants to show us in our hearts who he really is, his true character, and how does he show us who he is? In the face of Jesus Christ. In the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, John's, Jesus' own apostles would come up to him and say, Lord, just show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And what is his reply? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That's part of my job. That's in fact, the primary purpose of me coming here is to reveal who God really is. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. And it was God's plan that as we would gaze at Jesus Christ, we would come to appreciate the character of the God who sent him. John chapter 1, page 1025. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Again, the purpose for Jesus' coming, we're looking at this. And the Word became what? Flesh. This is the Word, capital W. This is Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His what? Now, did Jesus come as a shiny, splendid being on a bright cloud with all the light? and No. But we did see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Not in his outward beauty, but as an inward character. You saw God in Jesus. Again, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, which is full of grace and what? Truth. Apparently, Christ came to show us the truth because someone else had been telling some very bad lies. Right? So part of Christ's mission was to reveal the true character of God 
in contrast to what Satan's tail-bearing, slanderous merchandise had been peddled around his created universe. Let's see this again. 1 John, not the Gospel of John, but 1 John, chapter 3 and verse 8, page 1169. 1 John, chapter 3 and verse 8. Notice the simple logic of this. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from when? From the beginning. So anyone who sins is just copying the father of it all, right? And he goes on to say, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. And it doesn't say that he might save sinners, even though, yes, he does save sinners. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Apparently the devil had been working very, very hard to do something that Christ needed to come here to destroy. He had been building up an edifice, building up, and I believe, a false representation of God the Father, a false representation of who he really was, his character, and Christ came to tear that down by showing people who God really was. If you want to understand who God is, don't listen to Satan's lies. Actually see God himself in the character of Jesus Christ. John chapter 8. Going back to the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, page 1035. John chapter 8. We're going to start with verse 37 and flesh this one out. I think this is a fascinating exchange that Jesus has with these people. In fact, Jesus was always on guard because people were always trying to attack him. They were always trying to put him in a corner and trap him and trick him. And Jesus was brilliant in his responses, simple, right to the point, and would throw them off their game. Okay? Notice this in verse 37. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He's speaking to the religious leaders of the time. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. He's like, I get it. Genetically, biologically, you are descendants of Abraham. I'm fine with that. But you seek to do what? To kill me because my word has no place in you. But notice what he says in verse 38. I speak what I have seen with my father. So Christ is here representing his father, correct? But now what is what he says? And you do what you've seen with your father. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't play around. I mean, he's, he's serious. He's like, I'm here to show you, I'm manifesting the character of God the Father, my true father, God, you are manifesting the character of your father. Now, he doesn't say the devil yet, but he's getting there. Oh, boy, they did not like this, our father, my father is God, your father is, well, someone else. Look at their response, verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And again, Jesus is like, I know genetically you're right, but spiritually, right? Jesus said to them, and look, look at the beautiful logic of it. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, right? If you were anything like Abraham, you'd be something like Abraham. Now, though genetic, you might have his DNA and flesh and blood in you, but spiritually, you're from a different father than you think you are. Hmm. Now notice again the beauty of it, verse 40. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the what? The truth which I heard from whom? From God. 
I've been sent with a message to reveal to you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Right? You do the deeds, and here he comes back again, of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to them, verse 42, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, and here it is, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. So what were these works that Satan wants to do through these people that Christ came here to destroy? Verse 44 continues. He was a, what's that first thing? Murderer from the beginning. Remember we've seen that all the way, that from the beginning language? He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the what? Truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Everything that comes out of him is a misrepresentation. It is a falsehood. It is a lie. And everything I say is the truth. And the reason you can't hear me is because you are like your father, who was a murderer from the beginning and is a liar to this day. Now, let me ask you a question, by the way. Who did Satan kill? If the war in heaven was not a war of weapons, but a war of words, who did he murder? Well, hang on a second. You know, I, I, I like guessing. That's good. But let's see if the Bible can give us an answer. Okay? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Again, an extra, extra tidbit. We're just throwing away Bible for free tonight. Just fantastic. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. The same Jesus who said that Satan was a murderer from the beginning goes on to define what murder really is. Verse 21, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. He says, but I say to you, that whoever is, what's that word? Angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice that Christ takes the concept of murder beyond just merely the act of killing someone, but to the internal motive of the heart. And remember what he had said? I will ascend, I will. And where he had been saying it? In his heart. You have said in your heart. He became filled with violence, but where was the violence? Within. Now, he did get his chance to finally unleash all that violence, but not until Calvary. Until then, he was a murderer in his heart, just waiting for that opportunity. But he's been a liar from the very beginning. 
spreading these falsehoods about the character of God, as we saw evidenced in the book of Job. And by the way, if someone, in the notes I thought about saying, when someone calls you a liar, but I don't want to assume that someone's ever going to call you a liar, right? So it's not when someone calls you a liar, but if on the off chance someone were to ever accuse you of being a liar, you know what you can't say in your own defense? No, I'm not. Because that's exactly what a liar would say, right? You lied. No, I didn't. See there, you're doing it again. <laughs> no, I'm not. You're a liar. Am not. Am too. Am not. Where does it end? By the way, this is what we saw in the book of Job. Satan says, God, the only reason that he is faithful to you is because you pay him. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And the sons of God are watching this conversation like a tennis match. Back and forth, the volley goes. And this is the point. There comes a time, and if someone pulls the you're a liar card and plays that trick on you, right? If the accusation is that you're a liar, you cannot simply respond with, no, I'm not. Explanation doesn't do it. At some point, you need a demonstration of the truth. There's something greater than just simply proclaiming yourself to be true. You have to demonstrate the truth. Jesus was sent here not just to say what God was like, but to actually show what God was like. Does that make sense? So when he says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. I didn't just come as a messenger. I am the message itself, Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm what he looks like. I'm who he is. And Jesus, as he was coming close, the greatest manifestation, by the way, of love, the greatest manifestation of love is the giving of yourself, right? Jesus himself said, greater love has no man than this, than he would do what? Lay down his life for his friends. Love, as we're going to come to in a later meeting, is the principle. It's not a flight of fancy. It's not a trivial affection. Love is a spiritual principle of putting others ahead of yourself. Satan's argument, apparently, was that God is selfish, and he would take and take and take. Everything's about him. Everything's about him. Everything's about him. Where I just want you to be free and you take for you. Where in reality, Satan was the one being selfish. I will ascend. I will exalt. I will be like the Most High. It was a battle between the principle of selflessness and the principle of selfishness. And Christ came not just to say, Hey, God would actually give of himself. He really is self-sacrificing. He really is love. He really would give. He came to show it. Now watch this. John chapter 12. As Jesus got closer and closer to that voluntary sacrifice of himself, his humanity trembled. Page 1030, I'm sorry, 1040 in your pew Bible, John chapter 12 verses 27 and 28. And we'll see Jesus have this this struggle to fulfill this mission. John chapter 12, the intense battle that was going on in the mind of Christ. 
John chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul is, what's the word? Troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Right? He sees the, 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 the impending doom squeezing closer and closer, and he said, but what am I supposed to say now? Father, save me from this? Notice this. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. The whole point of me coming was to reveal the character of God in a selfless sacrifice, and I don't want to do it. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there's any other way, please, but not my will, but yours be done. Verse 28, Father, glorify your, what's that word? Name. Remember the Lord, I will proclaim the name of the Lord, gracious and merciful and long-suffering. It says, Lord, people need to see who you really are. And I've come to show it. Though I, I shrink away from it, I need to be faithful. In fact, look at verse 31. And think about what he's saying here. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be what? Now pause right there. Who is he calling the ruler of this world? The devil, right? Satan had called himself that, and Christ acknowledges he's legitimately right. Who was originally supposed to be the ruler of this world? Adam. But by transgression and sin, he gave the keys over to the devil, and the devil says, I'm running the place. Christ comes to enemy territory and says, I'm going to be a living refutation of the slanderous lies that Satan has been talking about to God the Father. I'm going to show the truth of God's principles lived out in my life. And now Christ looks at this. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now he'd already been cast out once, right? So he'd already been cast out of heaven. Now what is this casting out all about? Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute. But keep that on a shelf in your mind for just a couple of minutes. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. This he said, and uh, and he says in verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So what is the now the ruler of this world will be cast out? What event is he talking about? Calvary, right? The cross. And, verse 33, this he said, just in case you were unclear as to what he was talking about, this he said, signifying by what death he would die. So apparently the death of Jesus on the cross would cast Satan out, though he had already been cast out from the courts of heaven once before. Let's look at this a little bit more. Verse 45, 44 and 45 of the same chapter. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Right? I'm not trying to win you to me per se. I'm trying to win you to the true character of God, which I'm a part of. But you're not just winning me to Jesus. You're winning to God overall. You know, there are some Christians who will say, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm afraid of that Old Testament God. That's still buying the lies of Satan. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm trying to wipe away to reveal the righteousness of God and who I am. If you've seen me, this is exactly what the Father is like. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. Trying to show you the Father. Still in the book of John, go over to John chapter 14. Apparently Jesus had this struggle, like we've referenced before, amongst his own disciples. John chapter 14, verse, starting with verse 7. Jesus comes back to this theme again. If you had known me, 
you would have known whom? My Father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And Philip picks up on this. Verse 8, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. You've got to understand, Jesus is getting down close to the end of his ministry. I've been with you guys for like three years now. And you're like, you know what we'd really love to see? We'd love to see God. He's like, that must be the most discouraging thought of all. I've been right here with you. And he says to him, again, John John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 8, after Philip in verse 8 says, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? You don't get it yet? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus kept trying to get this idea across that I'm here to be the living answer to the lies that Satan has told about God. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Page 1088 in your pew Bible. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And notice the, the language the Apostle Paul uses here. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. How does he demonstrate his love for us? In that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. Greater love has no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus explained the principle, and then he lived it out in his own voluntary self-sacrifice. Showing that the character of God is a giver, one who would give himself, even if it cost the very life of Christ, he would give it. Where Satan, on the other hand, would take everything, even if it took the life of the innocent. Now, up until this point, Satan had run roughshod over this whole world. People had died by the scores, by the thousands, millions, untold billions of people have died. But the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is what? Death. So every time Satan had a hand and someone dying in some awful way, couldn't he always logically say, yeah, but they sinned? And it's God's law that says sinners die. I'm fine with everybody living. I'm just trying to show you what your God and his law is all about. But when Jesus came, though he was tempted in all points like unto as we are, he was without sin. And there was no rational reason why anything should happen to Jesus, much less the ignominious death of the cross. And when those sons of God, those watching onlookers, saw Jesus spread out his arms and voluntarily lay down his life for his friends, In that one act, they saw two things for the very first time. Number one, they saw finally fully revealed the character of God. Before, it had been beautiful and wonderful, harmonious theory that if anyone were ever in trouble, I would give myself for you. But no one had ever been in trouble before. Sin had never broken out. And once sin started, you can't just cut it off and forth. You have to let it run its course. Once someone calls you a liar, you have to demonstrate the truth. And here Jesus demonstrates who is God. It's not just like he's a created being that God sent, which, by the way, if he was just merely a created being that God sent, it would actually bolster Satan's concept that God is not self-sacrificing. 
If God were to say, I'll show you how loving I am, I'll make something and then go kill it. Satan's like, that's my point. (laughs) But Jesus Christ is one with the Father. And in giving the Son, he gives of himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And in that one act, when Jesus was lifted up, the onlooking universe fall for the very first time, manifested, demonstrated the love of God. They saw the true character of God on full display in the person of Jesus Christ. Also they saw for the very first time the full demonstration of the character of Satan for the very first time. And what we see, apparently, is the second casting out of Satan. Not just physically from the courts of heaven, but the last links of sympathy between Satan and the unfallen worlds were finally broken. Those sons of God were no longer listening to his arguments. They weren't interested in what they had to say because they've seen the truth for themselves. Revelation chapter 12, as we close. Revelation chapter 12. Page 1182, Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7. We've seen this passage before, but I want to show you that these two castings out are actually recorded in Scripture again, point by point, step by step. Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. This is the original war back in heaven. We've already talked about it. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. There's our phrase again. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. But then you continue the passage and look at verse 10. Then, that is after that, then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So apparently he was cast out originally in that original war in heaven, but when Jesus died on the cross, he was cast out again. This time not physically from the courts of heaven, but sympathetically from the hearts of the unfallen, they said, we're done with you. We'll have no more of your lies. We see the truth with our very own eyes. In review, Satan had smeared the character of God, arguing that he was not the God of love that he claimed. And by the way, merely calling Satan a liar wouldn't prove anything. God needed Jesus to reveal his character, to actually demonstrate his love. Thus, Christ's death severed any remaining sympathy unfallen beings might have had for Satan. Now I'm going to cut to the chase as we close tonight. Christ has already kicked him out of heaven once. By the way, Christ saw right into his heart, right? God could see right into his heart. He didn't have to figure it out. He saw it for himself and he cast him out. But he didn't blot him out of existence because he needed others to gaze at him and consider him and see them for themselves the truth between the contrast between the two characters. But now the unfallen beings themselves have seen for themselves what he was all about. Those who knew him have considered him and gazed at him and have rejected him once and finally for all. 
the question that we're coming up on is, does Satan have any sympathy in your heart? Is there any sympathy for him and his ways left? Or are we willing to take our stand for Christ no matter what? That's where we're heading. That's where we're heading. Has tonight's presentation made sense? Was it logical? Was it clear? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to be coming to an appeal. Not right now, but we'll be making one in the coming days. And I want you to see for yourselves, not by force, not by intimidation, not by some weepy appeal. I don't want to just drag out on your emotional heartstrings. I want you to see with your mind's eye. I want you to see for yourself that God is love. And that he would give anything. He already has given everything for you. And the question is now, whose side are you going to choose you this day whom you will serve? That will be the appeal. We're not making it tonight, but we're planting the seeds for it. So in the nights to come, you can be wrestling with these things and give the victory to Jesus Christ as you choose him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who not only says that you're loved, but you demonstrate that love. And you show us who you really are in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to also cast Satan out of our hearts. Not in our own strength. Lord, we've been close too long, but Lord, in your strength, we ask that you would give us both pardon and power so that we can have that same victory and we can walk hand in hand with Jesus Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.